You've been planning this for months. Hope you're wearing your long johns today, hunters. Gotta be nippy out there. The big day is finally here. Welcome to opening day here at Sportsman's Warehouse. This is your big shot to gear up for unforgettable at the Sportsman's Warehouse Grand Opening, Thursday through Sunday, October 14th through the 16th, off Summit Park Drive near Walmart, or visit us at sportsmans.com. My name is Kristen Nobles, and I am the host of a new podcast called Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine. I have been chronically ill for over 20 years, and a doctor told me she believed that my breast implants were causing an autoimmune disease that was attacking my body. That is when I learned about breast implant illness. This disease is not my fault. I am not going to allow BII to define who I am. Listen to Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the coldest of cold cases. Five women murdered and mutilated in Victorian London. But trust me, everything you think you know about Jack the Ripper and his victims is wrong. I'm historian Hallie Rubenhold, and when I went back into the records, it became clear that the real story of those murdered women is richer and far more disturbing than we'd ever been told. Listen to Bad Women, The Ripper Retold on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. And when you're happy. Sit, listen to a sad be. song when you're happy. Yeah. 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 I could see that. But yeah, don't but you're right. Don't force me to listen. Yeah, I don't want to be forced to listen to a happy song when I'm sad. Like, but, no. but, but obviously the best is sad song when you're sad. That makes the most yes. sense. And it's a very comforting cocoon of sadness that almost protects you while, while, while um, marinating in your own sadness. <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a very good thing. Oh, uh, hey, hi. Uh, welcome to the record store. Uh, my name is Seth. This is Tara. Feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. So Tara, um, I don't know. I, like, I, I've, I've been feeling crummy today. So I'm glad that we're talking about sad music. And it feels like... I don't know. It's it feels almost like solidarity, like um, like 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 there are other people in the world that are sad too. So you're kind of going through something together, and it makes you feel kind of all right, ultimately. And uh, oh yeah. hey, uh, welcome to the record store. Hey, look who it is! It's Dylan Banks. Well, hey there, aka DJ D Belvedere, <laughs> creator. Wait, what is it? Creative director of VLSE Records in Atlanta. Yeah, co-founder, creative director, wearer of all hats, Dylan. Nice. <laughs> nice to see you, Tara. Nice to see you too. What are what are you guys getting into? What's uh what, what's the name of your label again? So, my label and uh, artistic collective is called VLSC Records. We started out as a record label and then became a little bit more of like an audiovisual platform and especially in 2020, we've been doing uh, more of our artistic output on Twitch. We've been uh, releasing music since 2017, putting on shows since 2016, and uh, of course shows are on a hiatus, so our main thing we do on Twitch is an event called Dance Your Heart Out, where we raise money and funds for causes that we actually care about. So we actually, uh, Tara was on our last one a mm. couple weeks ago. She ripped. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, we raised some it money for the, the upcoming election, you know, for the Georgia Senate runoff. So nice. Yeah. Uh, c- 
can I ask you two quick questions? Um, Absolutely. One of which I'm sure you get all the time. What does the initialism stand for? So the initialism, right, uh, it's, it's uh, long-winded, so Volta Laboratory Social Club. Ah. Uh, yeah, so that's the, all, the whole thing, basically, long story short, the Volta Laboratory was a government-issued building to Alexander Graham Bell at the turn of the century for the 20th century to help better the gramophone. So uh, the original uh, social club, Have You, was a bunch of record collectors, just us geeking out, listening to a bunch of records, and now it's evolved into this. So rather than saying the uh, the long form, we have <laughs> shortened it down. Yeah. I love that. That's so cool. And then, then my follow-up question, cool. which I think I, I, I understand in my own head, but I'm, I'm going to have you confirm it. Sure. Would you say that, that uh, your label and art collective has a genre and a vibe, or would you say you're kind of all-encompassing? I would say that in an essence, our genre and vibe is multi-genre, a little bit more of the eclectic side. We do have an electronic presence. Uh, we did more audiovisual sort of avant-garde electronic works earlier in our inception. The last couple of years, we've been a lot more on the sort of dance, left field, underground, rave sort of vibes. And it's never been a permanent pivot Hmm. And it ex exclusivity as much as it is like inclusivity and like, oh, we can have another tendril to this arm, you know, like yeah. why not? So, yeah. That sounds amazing. That sounds super yeah, good. cool. Yeah. Uh, you're actually yeah. joining us at a really good time. Uh, today, oh. Tara and I are talking about uh, top five songs that make you cry and just kind of sad music in general. Oh, uh, yeah. Tara was about to go first, but you, you want to join us for this? Yeah, I'd love to. I love a good sad song, whether if you're happy or sad, a sad <laughs> song's always great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this one, man, if I start crying, I'm so sorry. I don't, <laughs> I don't actually, I, I feel like I don't cry that much, to be honest. And so for something to, to trigger the waterworks, uh, it's got to be like, you know, really, really sad. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, and I just wanted to say, like my my friend uh, Kurt was telling me about a, a Prince lyric recently, and he was saying, I think it's on Snows in April or something like that. But he said, "Always cry for love, never cry for pain." Huh. And I feel like a lot of that was kind of relates to um, the songs that I that I think are the most sad for myself. Anyway, sure, they're all like related to love. Uh, I think, well, except for maybe one. But yeah. So yeah, having said that, we'll dive into my list. And the first one is from 1971 by Harry Nilsson on Nilsson Schmilsson, <laughs> Without You. I can't live if living is without you. I can't live. Yeah, Without You by Harry Nilsson. There's no live recordings of him singing this song because he's pretty, um, you know, reserved, quiet, shy. He didn't, he wasn't, he was another kind of sad um, case, much like Nick Drake um, died too early, was not really on the scene for very much. Um, but then, of course, that song made a massive return in like 1994 when Mariah Carey covered it. Such a good song. I don't remember <laughs> the Mariah Carey cover, 
But what? What, what album was it off of? The Mariah Carey one, I mean. Uh, is it Dream Box? Music box or something like that. Was it's it like a single a, or was like it just black like, and white cover? Was it on the no, album? No, it's on that. Yeah, huh. yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I don't my I don't I don't know my Mariah Carey well enough beyond singles. I don't believe I've ever owned a Mariah Carey album, for example. So Ooh, if it wasn't no. a single, I never heard it. But that's pretty cool. I've I've never heard of her covering Harry Nilsson before. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, hmm. I mean, and she knocks it out of the park too, of course, because it's such a a beautiful ballad. Um, but yeah, it's a good one. That's awesome. Hmm. Um, all right. So next one, number four, is from 1965 from the album Begin Here. It is The Way I Feel Inside by the Zombies. Should I try to hide the way I feel inside my heart? Yeah, so this one is, again, it's kind of another love song. Like, both of these have been just sort of gut-wrenching love songs, to be yeah. honest. But <laughs> one, um, that Without You is a much more dramatic kind of ballad of a love song, whereas this one, it's really just the singer, the zombie singer, um, and a microphone. It's just him singing into the microphone. At the end, you can hear him, like, drop a coin and sort of walk off in the recording, but man, it's like, here's how I feel inside. I just, I just love you and that's it. Okay. <laughs> like that's really, both of those are kind of like that. I can't live without, without you. Um, also, this is how I feel. I love you. So yeah, these are all just really sad love songs. Um, I don't know if you guys really want to talk about like the personal aspects of these songs. I don't think I really have one for Harry Nelson's cause it's just dang sad. Um, but, uh, the zombies one, I sort of became obsessed with when I was in college cause I went through a, a bad breakup, bad meaning it was just so sad for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this was sort of my like sad sucker song. Um, yeah. The song's also pretty amazing uh, to me because it's kind of greater than the sum of its parts. Because I've never really considered the Zombies to be a super emotional band. I've never really considered the lead singer to have like a particularly emotive voice or a particularly gut-wrenching voice. But for some reason, you're absolutely right. This song is gut-wrenching. And I'm not, I, I'm not really sure why. I guess it's the combination. It's the soup. You know, it's all the pieces coming together <laughs> to create yeah. something bigger. But um, it, it is that that wonderful like musical mystery where you're not really sure why it's working as well as it is. It's a good choice. Excellent pick. Yeah. Um, what's funny is that entire, well, when I was obsessing over this song in college, I had a best of zombies album. And that's what I listened to over and over during this breakup. And actually a lot of the songs were kind of like, you know, good breakup songs. One was like, tell her no, mm. um, she's not there. <laughs> um, yeah, the way I feel inside. There's so many songs that I felt like were kind of, not how I felt necessarily, but I thought that they were good breakup songs in the moment. Um, yeah, but this yeah. one in particular is bleak and sad, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then the third 
choice on my list is actually was composed in 1899. It is not, it's a, it's a classical song. Um, and just when I hear it, I feel it just gives me this immense feeling of sadness because there are no words, obviously, that I'm, I'm linking my emotions to or like any particular story to. But uh, the song is Pavan pour un enfant defunt. I think I said that correctly, but I'm not sure. It's a Ravel song and it yeah. translates to a Pavan for a dead princess. Pavan is like a slow, is like a, a dance, um, but it's usually traditionally a lot faster. But this song was made to be extremely slow, and I don't think that even any modern um, uh, orchestras are playing it as slow as Ravel meant for it to be played. Wow. But it's, yeah, incredibly moving, sad song. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about like classical and like its emotional tug, despite the fact of being no words, et cetera, et cetera. And th this is a good one. Good pick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank totally. you. Totally. Yeah, I actually um, heard this one for the first time uh, when I got the Air Late Night Tales yeah, of course. album um, in 2006, which is an amazing collection of songs. It's a really good compilation. And a lot of the Late Night Tales uh, compilations are really good. So highly recommend those. Oh, yeah. And just the whole art era visually and sonically of Impressionism in France is like amazing. Cool. Ravel didn't want to be called impressionists, um, but the ironic is that their music was so liberating, but it was also always pulling on this romantic heartstrings. And I actually, my my undergrad background is in music composition, so I tried to exclude wow. a lot of that music because <laughs> I know how much like it's held for me, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Just, yeah, and Ravel. Oh my God, just the moments yeah. I've had, and also some of the most uh, tear-inducing music for me was uh, in in a, a essence growing up definitely non-lyrical. I don't know. I, I, uh, yeah, the words I I've obviously connect to from singing and I will also say acapella choirs like, Oh my God, like any acapella choir, even if I don't even agree with the words or if I don't even understand it, I'm just like sobbing, you know? So <laughs> right. I, I get the idea of just certain timbres taking you to places that could yeah. be inevitably sad, of course, with this Ravel piece too. And yeah. the way that this Ravel piece like starts out pretty minimally and grows into a more of a crescendo. It doesn't ever reach like a crescendo that you would think like other um, right. well-known um, pieces are, but but it, it still gets there. And then you, you know, you're sort of film, you feel overwhelmed with oh, just yeah. this like really just a low feeling. Yeah. Melancholy sadness, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, but it's kind of nice, I have to say. I like it. Yeah, so, okay, so what was that? Number three. Man, this is, <laughs> this is heavy. <laughs> the second one is, uh, is a classic sad song by Sad Sap. Jeff Buckley. Oh, of course. <laughs> From 1994 is Grace. It is Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And, you know, we know that this is what originally a Leonard Cohen song and even Willie Nelson covers it. Either way, whoever does this song, it's sad to me, but my favorite sad version is Jeff Buckley's version. And every time I hear it, I just think about just, I mean, his career was cut so short and he was just so amazingly, amazingly talented. And his voice is just so beautiful. And he does this song so well. Yeah. It just makes me incredibly sad to hear him singing this song. Oh yeah. It's haunting. It definitely yeah. feels it like is. the definitive version as well. Like, like so many people have done it and like you said, done it really well. But um, yeah. this feels like the final real version, despite the fact that it is also very old and many people have done it since then, you know? Um, yeah. All of his stuff is really sad, even his really joyful stuff. And I think that's kind of what we were talking about a little mm-hmm. bit before, which is just like that that emotion that he puts inside everything he does feels gut-wrenching. It feels yes. like he has like his heart in his throat and he's just aching to tell you how he feels and about a dream he had last night. (laughs) Lover, you should have come over is just like him like begging this person. Like, why didn't you do? Yeah, man. And same, (laughs) yeah, same for uh, Last Goodbye, which was kind of the, the hit off of that album, or at least I remember it being one of the singles um, and one of my favorites. Yeah. It's a, and especially if you think about the song Last Goodbye um, in, a, in a sense of Jeff Buckley not being around anymore, right. it's incredibly sad. But of course, that's not what it's about. But yeah, just and it sounds a lot happier too, of course, than Hallelujah. But it's still sad. <laughs> was that your number two? That was number two. Ooh, we're getting close. I know. The last one is the hardest one of all. I can't... I can't listen to this entire album without getting a little t- misty-eyed. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that is the song from the album. Well, I'll just say the song is Purple Rain from the album Piano and a Microphone, 1983's uh, original version, which was uh, the first the first uh, release from Princess Estate after he died. Never meant to cause you any sorrow Never meant to cause you pain I, I've never heard about this. Yeah, it's it's incredibly hard to listen to because it's just him going through some of his songs just on a piano. It's super minimal. There's nothing there. I mean, there are some happier songs, but some like there's a, I think a hymn that he covers. Um, uh, uh, what is the, um, Joni Mitchell song he covers case of you is on here. I mean, I have chills just thinking about it. I can't listen to it without getting misty eyed. Like he, I mean, because he impacted so many people's lives just with his music and then for him to die. So, suddenly like that yeah man i mean i, mean, I, I have so many questions about this because i haven't heard about this a do you know when the recordings were from the recordings are from 1983 i believe so so these are like him originally still like in the thick of these songs being yeah. new songs to him, yeah. and he, him playing them new mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that 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 reminds me of something i heard which i i have no reason to believe it's not true which is that every room 
in um, Prince's house is geared for recording. So no matter where he is, if he ever feels like recording something, he could just go, uh, okay, I'm in my bedroom. I'm getting dressed. I have an idea for a song. Go. And then he could just record something anywhere, anywhere at any time. So this this makes sense to me. Like in That's my head, cool. I'm picturing him just like rehearsing something, trying out some new little bits here and there and just picking up and doing it and just getting like that that, that really pure, you know, source material of him and a piano doing his thing is he singing along too or is it just purely instrumental uh no yeah it's him singing it's called piano and a microphone so it's just him singing and playing piano that's it wow no i i gotta check this out it's like the stripped down versions of all the songs that we would know and like something else that's so the funny thing is any questionable thing you hear about Prince, mm-hmm. it's just adds to the 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 lore of who he was <laughs> right. as a being. But uh yeah. he's known that he would never record vocals. He would never track vocals with anyone around. Wow. He would only track his own vocals. But yeah, I don't know I if no that idea. Yeah, he was like very picky because of the idea of when it's gonna be recorded forever. It, he need to tap into a sense of like interconnectivity with the lyrics. Hmm. And he felt that he was too, like, I wouldn't say vulnerable, but he couldn't access that with like an audio engineer sitting on the other end. So yeah, I, I'm not sure if it was like a hundred percent of the time, but I know that that's how he oh. preferred to take vocals for sure. Man, Prince uh, Lore is amazing. He's just such yeah. a little mystery. <laughs> Love it. For sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Wow, I had no idea. I, I definitely yeah, need so to check out this album. It's it sounds amazing. Now, now does he cover like some of his um, more like uh, poppier material too, but in the same format? Um, in my head, I'm no. thinking, does he do Raspberry Beret? Because that's what I want to no. hear. I want to hear no. a sad, slow no. version of Raspberry I say, Beret. <laughs> I would say if you're not like a super hella huge Prince fan, you'd probably only know Purple Rain that's on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, yeah, he covers A Case of You. Um, there's a, a hymn, like I said, Mary, Don't You Weep, um, Purple Rain. And then there's one with uh, Lisa and Wendy. Well, he he's singing it. They're not there, but it's one of their songs that they wrote with right. him called 17 Days. But yeah, it's... It's just so hard to listen to because you know it wasn't, it's just, it feels private too. Right. And that was the, that was his instrumentation for his last show at the Fox was him playing piano and singing. If I'm not mistaken, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know if he had a band. I think it was him just playing his song. That's actually why I turned down the ticket. I had friends that were going, you know, Toya, right? So yeah. Toya was like, yo, like, you got to get this show. And I was like, ah, I love Prince. I'll see him another time because he plays everywhere all the time. You know, yeah. and those, that, know. that's like the bucket listers that you're just like, you can't make that excuse right. ever. Right. In whatever capacity, you have to see the greats. Totally. I did that same thing, but for me, it was like, oh, it's $400 yeah. to go to the Fox. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll wait on that one. And then, of course, it's like, damn it. I know. Yeah. $400 I know. is nothing. Yeah. 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 Not- <laughs> now. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's my list. That's don't play these songs around me. You, I'll cry or just go to a corner and hide. It's a good list. <laughs> yeah. For it's sure. a gut-wrenching <laughs> one. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, well, well, Dylan, I think it's your turn next. So let's all take a little break. We can all uh, go get coffee, take a little smoke, whatever we got to do. But Dylan, you go gather up your uh, top five songs. We'll come back okay. here, meet up. We'll 
uh, we'll keep on going. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? The sleepless nights, the constant worry, and the feelings of isolation. Recovery Centers of America wants you to know you're not alone. Addiction destroys families. But if you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your loved one can begin to recover, and so can your whole family. At Recovery Centers of America at Monroeville, your loved one will be treated with compassion and dignity by expert addiction professionals while recovering in a world-class facility. Family Support Services will give you knowledge, connection, and community so that you can begin to heal and recover as well. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. Recovery Centers of America accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services at no cost. Patients are admitted 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. I'm Jen Kirkman, host of the Anxiety Bites podcast. I'm not a trained mental health professional. In fact, I'm a comedian and a writer, but I am experienced in having anxiety. I've had it my entire life. Generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, multiple phobias, but I've worked on them so much that by the time 2020 rolled around and it seemed like the rest of the world was just experiencing anxiety for the first time, I was actually feeling okay. And I wanted to do something to help other people find the right tools to help them take control of their overwhelming anxiety. So I decided to start a podcast. Anxiety Bites premieres on Wednesday, October 6th. Join me as I have irreverent but factual conversations with experts in the field of mental health. Subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Okay, we are back. Uh, as a reminder, we're all in the middle of the High Fidelity game, and today's prompt is top five songs that make you cry. Uh, Dylan, you've gathered your records. Uh, kick yeah. us off. All right. So, um, honestly, I grew up a sad boy. I listened to a whole <laughs> bunch of emo music and like classical music and stuff that, like, even certain pop songs, like, I would have to say when I was a kid, What is Love by Hathaway made me cry. I've always been, it's I'm a cancer, right? So I'm a crybaby anyways by nature. But uh, yeah, I tried to encompass some songs that I know that without a doubt pull on the old tears. But uh, yeah, I have so many moments where some of the cries for these songs are actually a mix of emotions because as Tara was saying, you have these breakup songs that also maybe take a whole new meaning. Uh, so I, and then you cry out of joy or out of overcoming the sadness in a way that it's like a triumphant cry, but you're still like sobbing, like ugly crying, you know? So 
some of all these songs are in a in a way very tragic, but also have the I guess the dichotomy, the dualistic nature of also kind of being a little hopeful. Some of them, not really, but <laughs> anyways, <laughs> you brought up Tara, uh, Nick Drake when you were talking about. I think that was your number five song, Harry Schmilson Nelson. Yeah. So <laughs> my number five is from Pink Moon, Nick Drake um, from the morning. Go play the game that you learned from the morning. From the morning for me, it's uh, it's got a plethora of reasons why I love it. It's got this upbeat. The thing with Nick Drake is he's got such an upbeat strum, but his words and story is so tragic that it's hard to just not. Even his happiest song is still sadder than most, and. Uh, yeah, from the morning, because of the lyrics, they just, they hit me a certain way. Also on Nick Drake's uh, tombstone on his gravesite says words from this song, now we rise <laughs> and we are everywhere. Yeah, and it's just like, every time I hear that, I'm just like, <laughs> uh, you know, totally. Yeah, so he was one of those people always longing for romance, but rather than putting that into an isolated person, he always had this personification of the world and his existence to be able to be like this tragedy constantly that was, yeah, just something I've always connected to. So that's yeah. my number five for sure. He, he came that up recently so in a uh, conversation yeah. in the store. I, I think it was, we were talking about winter songs. Is that right, Tara? Winter. Yeah, he was Ooh. one of my winter choices. And it is fascinating yeah. how winter and crying and bleakness all kind of go together. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what we were talking about, how yeah. all of our winter songs were just very just like bleak and... Not, yeah. Like somber. Yeah. <laughs> somber. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Did you know it only it. took him like two hours to record that album or something? Yeah. Like that? It was like two hours, uh, two days. He Two hours each. He basically, yeah, th- most of it was in one take, if not two. He didn't do any multi-tracking. So every guitar part he's playing on his own. I think Pink Moon, the song, is the only one that has another instrument. It has a little piano part in the background and everything else. It, yeah, that he has a a mountain of music and his whole story and how he died and just it's sad he was the Elliot Smith before Elliot Smith you know yeah. that me. also came up yeah. I, 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 I said you said that to the other yeah. people in the store that day I no was shit. like oh does, th- does this remind you of Elliot Smith at all and Tara's like no you're stupid Seth <laughs> no I did not say that it didn't remind me of Elliot Smith but when you think about their lives yeah. I think you're right yeah. yeah. Sonically, they're not it, exactly the same, but no, thematically, yeah. they're very similar. Absolutely. And their trajectory of this true, sad poet, the, yeah. the troubadour, that's the tragedy that you somehow feel so connected to every word and note that they play, that both of them have that parallels for me. Like, uh, I think that Elliot sounds a little more sad, though. A little more emo. Yeah. Maybe that's awesome because I, I got into yeah. Elliot before Nick, and I know, like, my tight jeans were, like, connected <laughs> to that. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I did not put that connection together when we were talking about it before, Seth. But looking at their lives, I'm definitely making that connection. But, I, yeah, I think Elliot Smith's, um, or at least if I look at the collection of, their works separately. I feel like Nick Drake had more songs that weren't necessarily sad. Right. Some of them, like the ones off Family Tree, they weren't that sad. Not right. all, not all of them. But whereas Elliot Smith's felt like 
all of his songs were just like, I'm a miserable. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I could probably count on so, like two fingers that the somewhat neutral or happy songs that Elliot Smith wrote about. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Good sad one. Yeah. So the next one would be from Ultimate Sad progressive avant-garde band Radiohead and there's mm. probably 40 songs I could sit and cry to full albums right but uh the song that hit me for uh, mul- multiple reasons is all I need from in rainbows I'm in- Epic choice. Epic choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's a really great one. This one, In Rainbows, came out at a time period when I had broken up with my high school sweetheart and was in transition uh, of sort of just coming to terms with that severance. And as well, uh, I was just so connected to that song and all of the something that Tom does with his words is all of the metaphors are like all these colloquialisms that he has and he cuts them in these little vignettes that just like, they feel like little daggers to your heart. Like the the song starts with, I'm the next act waiting in the wings. And I'm just like, Oh my God. you know. Like, <laughs> and then just everything about it, like the moth that just wants to share your light and everything about it was like a part of, the breakup that I had and just this idea of wanting to share life with this person and young love. I was, I think 19, 20 when this record came out and it was the girl that I dated in high school and early college. And after we broke, it was, it was, uh, it was just hard, you know? And then they played on the in rainbow tours in Atlanta at high five buys. I don't know what it's called now. Right. But, um, Aaron's Amphitheater, Solaire, whatever. Right. I have no idea. Whoever was, owns it now. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and I was there at High Five Buys at the time. And um, very first song, and it's the first time I've seen Radiohead, was that. And my sister's standing next to me, and she's like, are you? My sister was like super drunk. We had like drank super hard. She's like, are you crying? And I was like, I'm not prepared for this show, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like <laughs> totally a wreck. But yeah, and then it's just taken on a couple of different meanings for me as I continue to listen to it. And uh, yeah, definitely, all, I would say all of my top five, I have to try harder to not cry to when I listen even now. Like some of mm-hmm. these songs, if they come on like a shuffle, I'm like, not today. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's that's th- so funny. This one for sure is the one that I have to like focus on like, okay, you know, be be uh, emotionally stable through this roller coaster here. So yeah, nice. There there were a few artists that um, I knew we were going to mention eventually, and I'm glad Radiohead just got you know on our bingo cards. Sure, that one all got stamped. I was just thinking it, it had to be said. <laughs> of course, I was thinking, okay, when are we going to hit an overlap? Oh my yeah, <laughs> you can't have a record store without Sonic Youth or Radiohead. Period. Coming up, that's impossible. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And especially We've in this said, record we, store, yeah. we, we, we definitely throw Sonic Youth out often. Bjork shows up on a nearly daily basis in our conversations. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 yeah, especially in this record store, there, there are a few bingo slots that get punched every day. <laughs> get that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> definitely. Also, I feel like we've said the exact same thing about the Aaron's Amphitheater place, too. Right, the name oh, change. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, we've said the exact same 
I don't well, know what it's called anymore. Yeah. I was at that show. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've grew up calling it Lakewood forever. And then I got used to calling it hi-fi. And I, as soon as I got used to it, they're like, we're changing it to errands. You're just like, what? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. What was that? Four? That was that four. Was- Number three and number two and number one were hard for me. So they all come into this like really close place of utter sadness and crying puddles of (laughs) tears. But uh, I went with my number three is an Italian electronic composer that's contemporary named Caterina Barbieri. Um, I got introduced to her from seeing her play at Moogfest. I was hanging with a modular mm. synthesizer player and he was like, are you going to go see Katarina? And I was like, I don't even know who she is. And he was like, <laughs> grabbed my hand and I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, Katarina Barbieri's uh, song, Fantas. This is new so, to me. I, 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 yeah. I love what things I are new. I love her. I love yeah. her. That's awesome that you picked her. Yeah. So this song is uh, a 10-minute uh, synth piece, so there is no lyrics. Um, it's It's got a rhythm to it. I would call it more akin to something more ambient, but it has an intensity to it, a crescendo and a, a suspension uh, sort of resolution that is never quite leaving you fulfilled it 10 minutes seems like a long time but the song passes like it's 40 seconds to me and I the first time I heard it being taken it was I I was telling someone I think I was talking about this artist specifically and seeing her I know Tara's been to some Moog Fest this was at a small venue in Durham called the Pinhook and it was packed and I stood there seeing her not knowing this song, not knowing her music and just crying in public at this show, you know, and not for any reason uh, that I was like in like a sad or triumphant. It was just similar to what I was saying about Ravel and older classical music. It's just, it's like turning on something that's, that is going to induce some sort of emotional override that puts everything else as like a secondary precedence, right? So... I keep going back and hearing this song at different parts of my life. I was going through a super tough job change like a year and a half ago, was hating my job and I was on my way driving and this song came on shuffle and I'm like, I I think it was just like by the providential luck that I got to work a couple minutes early, which I needed because when I cry, like my whole face turns red (laughs) and I'm like one of those blatantly obvious criers where like, did you cry? And I'm just like, my eyes are just like puffy. And I'm like, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) But yeah, that this song, like. You're like allergy attack. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's Zyrtec. I didn't take my Zyrtec today. (laughs) But yeah, the song just, it's 10 minutes of this mountain and, uh, it's What's it called a beautiful again? one. It's called Fantas, like if the soda with a plural version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nice. yeah, I mean, it was it was inevitable that people that know me know that she would be in my top five. And I didn't even want to give her the one because I thought it would be too cliche. <laughs> but I, the number two, uh, another Moogfest performance that I saw that took me overboard, different Moogfest a couple years prior. Um, saw him play in a church and it was 
totally unbelievable. I had never heard of him. And I walked into Moses Sumney playing oh. in a church for like a hundred people, maybe. I, yeah. I, I, were you at that Moog Fest, Terry? I no. knew it. Yes, I was. Okay. Yes, I was. Yeah. When and you said that, I was like, it's Moses. I know. I saw him at, uh, so sorry. We will talk about Moses what in a moment. Go ahead yeah. and hear yeah. the name of the song. Okay. Yeah. The, <laughs> Moses Sumney's song called Doomed. Okay, so so all three of us have seen Moses Sumney yeah. live. Um, <laughs> okay, I, I I saw him at Afropunk, and holy yes. shit, he is just astonishing. And I actually haven't seen him. I got there to that church right after he finished. I think I was going to see Don Mitty. Mm, I think they were after Moses Sumney and I loved on a midi. Oh, I saw that one too, for sure. So into that, but I think either I was leaving or I missed Moses. Mm, Exactly. It's a, it's a transition thing when you're at a, at a music festival. So you have to pick and choose. You do overlap. And luckily I was traveling with Colin. Uh, Colin is another co-founder and director of the VLSC. And uh, he was like, you got to check Moses out. I've heard nothing but good things. And we sat in the front row crying and just gushing. We were like, just watching him sing. Like, to me, he's the definition of the American idol, right? Mm. Like his, it's what everybody talks about that American idols or the voice has where it's like the moment he opens his mouth, the, the, the clouds part and it's just, you're hanging on every single word and his range knows no limit. He has low notes that like rumble that you feel in your bones and high notes that I feel like are akin to dogs probably getting into their frequency <laughs> range of hearing. And it all sounds good. None of it sounds contrived. All of it sounds controlled in a sense of technique and also emotionally. It's so interconnected with his lyrics. But yeah, the song Doomed just because of... The whole, the the vibe and uh, like the lyrics, there's the one, I'm trying to remember, it's uh, the line that says, if loneliness is godliness, would you cast me to the wayside? Like, I don't know what, what messes me up from that, but just that idea and also just seeing him and seeing how connected he is to these words and you see this like angelic, beautiful creature that is Moses Sumney. And you're just like, if he feels this, then everybody feels this. And <laughs> yeah. you're just like, ah, you know. So he's he's a performer uh, unlike few I've ever seen. And I feel like many people still haven't had that breakout moment with him, but it's not if it's, I mean, he was on an Xfinity commercial. He was really? doing, you can, you can go your own way. If you see that commercial, mm-hmm. it's got this, you can go your own way. And it's like very smooth. And you're like, who is that? And you're like, oh, Moses did that. And he had a couple songs <laughs> in HBO. Like it's wow. only a matter of time yeah. before he's a household name, but yeah. yes. Oh I, I remember reading an article when Gray was coming out where they were like, is this the album where everyone realizes that he's a star and everyone loves him? Or is this the album that cements him as king of the underground R&B? And I right. think so far he is just the king of the underground R&B scene. Correct. But yeah, I, I think all he needs is just some moment and then the entire world will be all over him. I mean- 
Absolutely. At, at least in the same regard that like, oh, let's say Frank Ocean is a mainstream figure at this point. He right. deserves to be at least as recognized as Frank Ocean, if not even totally. more so, you know? I, I agree. And also he's at a point right now where I'd say like he's all of your favorite singers, singers, right? Yes. Like Solange like loves him. Right. Beyonce isn't as public about it, but she loves him as well, you <laughs> right, know? And right. like- he opened on tour for James Blake's most re- recent tour and talk about another angelic voice, like mm-hmm. the greatest voice combo in the world, right? <laughs> James Blake had Moses opening and Moses actually is on a collaborative track on the new record. And so he came out and sang with him, you know, same with James. And it was just like, it's kind of tough because as much as I love James, like... Moses, his voice sort of like, like kind of runs in circles around him because he just has this voice that's, to me, I'd say, I love James, but like Moses, he's just, it's, it's otherworldly. Like Tara, you, you will, I know you will, but see him live. It's uh, (laughs) a connect. You will. Man, to see them together, singing together though. That's amazing. Magical. That reminds me of something else (gasps) I want to, another pair of competing perfect voices, but I'm going to save it, but I'm I'm putting a pin in this, because when I mention mine, this is going to come up again. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. What was that? That was number three? That was number two. That was number two. We we got it. Yeah. So yes, without further ado, I couldn't delay her for any longer. My number one song has to be Bjork. And from the plethora of songs that make me cry, like a uh, wee little one, I'd say that I had to go with Stone Milker. Moments of clarity are so rare. I... Wow, the queen mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Stone Milker, um, I mean, it's one of her newer records. I know a lot of people that lust over Bjork's catalog very they like a lot of her earlier stuff um she's one of those musicians to me that she has not done a, a single thing wrong from her trajectory musically and every incarnation every uh orchestration that she's done of each record has always just been very spellbounding to me. And Bjork was an artist that when I first listened to younger, I didn't like, and it was like a tough pill to swallow. Mm, And then you get the greatest hits record. You're like, Oh, I guess I kind of like this stuff. And then (laughs) I was like more and more and more. And it was, it was a different thing. Some of my most favorite music, it was a tougher pill to swallow. That's why I always encourage people give something that you really think might be out of your comfort zone, a listen, Mm -hmm. because you maybe have not like, fully fulfilled the entirety of your musical calling. So you got to push really, yeah. those walls a little, you know. That really surprises me about <laughs> you, honestly. Because yeah. now you have a Bjork tattoo that you, so you didn't like Bjork when you first heard her? I That's, didn't like, it was wow. some, It was something to do with her voice and just be, <laughs> me being a little like the, the screaming, it's oh so quiet oh. and the stuff I'm like, you know, I, I don't know that if was it was a little a, Broadway moment. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was I was a chorus nerd and I also liked emo metal in high school. And that was like the first time I got into Bjork. But it was like, it's not my type of screaming, you know. I, I right. know, But then it just, it grew on me. And then as I continued to study composition and understood what she has combined, she's like my favorite contemporary composer in the sense that she combines electronics with avant-garde pop lyrics and uh, instrumentation that's, a blend of old classical Western style with 
chorus, uh, with orchestras, uh, with harp players. And then with like this, the, the, the biophilia record, actually the tattoo has a play on her tattoo. She has a compass, a Nordic compass on her arm. Mm -hmm. And this is actually, this tattoo is the compass on her biophilia app. So anytime that you're on the app, this is what shows up. And this is like the album cover. So it's like a tribute to Bjork's compass and also Bjork's like music sort of like calling me home, navigating me home. So right. it's, it's the multifaceted tattoo more than just Bjork. But also I have a, I have a Sergeant Pepper's tattoo and I was, people knew me in high school as like a Beatles hater. So huh. it's, it's, it's more than just, it's kind of like the idea of sometimes you're wrong, sometimes you're right, no matter what. Sometimes you think you know what's your taste and you might be like pleasantly surprised as things change when you're later. But yeah, uh, Volnikra came out in 2015 maybe. I can't remember when the year it came out, but I remember the exact place I was when I heard Stone Milker and I folded into what seemed to be infinity and woke up <laughs> however many minutes later from this dream of sadness and just the idea of what she echoes, the idea of giving in a relationship. So for people that don't know, Bjork's Von Ikera record is her breakup record with her partner that she had had and raised uh, children with and it was um, an overwhelming emotional album. It gave her a lot of uh, critical success in the more modern Bjork days, but Stone Milker is the opening song, and it starts out with this cello line that is already just immediately the intervals. It's got... And then it has this violin and, and viola part that comes in, and you're like, before even Bjork's singing, I'm already, like, teary-eyed. And <laughs> one of my favorite producers... Uh, an artist from Venezuela named Arca was a co-producer of this uh, record. And so Arca has these beats that are coming in. It's just the combination of a lot of different things musically I enjoy and lyrically. It's just, it pulls on me. And I had the fortunate blessing of seeing her fourth row for this show at Carnegie Hall. And that's why this was my number one, because I'm like, I am can tap into that emotion and memory. And I remember seeing like, her, we were so close, her like diaphragm breathing and every yeah. time she was having to sing this. And she actually had to cut that tour short because how emotionally draining the whole record and the whole Vonikura process was for her yeah. of this like constant story being told over and over about her heartbreak and severance from her partner. And you could see it in her face and everything that she was doing. She, she's a person that she sings and does music stuff with such critical attention that you could tell that it was just as gut-wrenching to her to try to sing this, but she knew she needed to get through it. And like, she did this little, of course, like Bjork thing when the song at the end has this string outro and rather than her, like, you know, continuing to do all of her vocal oohs and ahs, she's just going to like each part of the stage and like taking these little <laughs> small steps and like, bowing to everybody and I'm just like a puddle like a literal <laughs> ball of water at this point so and I still I I like that's the number one song that if it comes up on a shuffle or even Vonikara as a record I just right. like I gotta put time away to like emotionally <laughs> invest into this moment so 
that's why that was my number one, you know? Heck yes, that's amazing. Yeah. I also love your pronunciation. It's so accurate. I, I say it like <laughs> such an American. I'm a Volnacura, you know? <laughs> I, listen, I've, I've been in both camps. In some ways, you, you kind of try to sound like too much of the hipster, woke guy that's like, oh, yes. Hey, you if, know, if, you know, you if you know, know the correct pronunciation, go for it. So I'm impressed. I, <laughs> I go with what she says, and she's yeah. always a big R roller. So <laughs> exactly. I imagine that she's just, that's how it is. <laughs> I'm so jealous you've seen her live. I have yeah. the concert t-shirt for that tour, but I never was there. <laughs> Whoa. Oh my God, Tara. Like, it's... <laughs> It, I, I've I've never seen her once in Atlanta, and that we had talked about traveling to go see shows. I've seen her twice in New York, once in Chicago, and once in LA. Right, so like, and it, I guess at uh, Day for Night too, I got to see her do ah. a DJ set. But she's one of my favorites, so it was just like, wait, was that the Death Grips DJ set that she did? Uh, she did like this weird sort of collage of so. The record, oh, I'm spacing on the name. The most recent record she had that's like her love record. Um, Sonnets? Is it Sonnets? Or no. Utopia? Utopia, Utopia. yes. Um, and that has like all these bird songs that were birds of paradise that oh, she actually yeah. got permission from Edinburgh and other people that like originally recorded it to use. And she was like doing this weird DJ set of combining that with all this like cumbia and weirder. So I don't know if it was like a death grips. She, she did play a couple of the she death did, grips yeah. remixes because they did remixes oh. for the, for the biophilia. And I think of Onikara song. Yeah, they did like a whole album of remixes thing together yeah so that was cool. interesting it was a big um some people were very upset because they're like bjork wasn't singing all this and i was like it was marketed as a dj set i don't know yeah. what you're right <laughs> supposed yeah. to be complaining Get about but yeah. right yeah Let but do yeah different. definitely worth seeing i would say all people should should be able to see her at some point um definitely when shows come back she'll be yeah. back she'll play a show and yeah, make it happen. I mean, I've been waiting for those virtual yes. concerts. Like yeah. they keep rescheduling them. I know, but those are gonna yeah. be amazing. I, I can't of, wait for those. I bought tickets for all of them. Yeah. Oh, so nice. I was yeah. talking Just to a friend. Let me know. Yeah, we want to like watch and tune in and be like either on a Zoom chat or something. And yeah, totally. Project it on your ceiling. Lay right. down and watch it. <laughs> yeah, proper. Well, nice. Excellent choices. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, so that, Thank that, you. We got that. Um, I guess it's my turn. So, yeah, uh, go oh, yeah. I, I, I got to go uh, Go grab my records. So let's take another Please. quick break. I'll go okay. find my records. We'll come back and we'll wrap this up. Cool. I want to get back to being in my community group. I want to continue having a soccer season. So I can throw parties again. <laughs> so I can go to her parties. <laughs> It'd really be nice to dine in instead of getting delivery for a change. So I can feel safe and protected for myself and my students. We each have our own reason for why we're getting vaccinated against COVID-19. What will yours be? Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org for information on the COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. 
Hi, friends. I'm Hector Navarro. And I'm Frankie Grande. We're your hosts for SpongeBob Binge Pants, Nickelodeon's podcast celebrating all things SpongeBob universe. We have the privilege that not many SpongeBob fans get. This being an official Nickelodeon podcast, we get to interview the brilliant humans behind the names we've all been reading in those credits for over 20 years. This is a podcast by fans for fans. Listen to SpongeBob Binge Pants on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Maddie and Kenzie Ziegler, and we have a podcast called Take 20. This is so exciting. I know, we've been wanting to do this for so long. It's been a long time coming, but I feel like we're in a really good point in our lives where we have a lot to talk about. I'm actually really happy that I grew up with you because I could not do it alone. Oh my gosh, that's not really emotional. Well, it's true. It took a while to get to this point. We hated each other. I know. Like, we actually, I hated you so much. I know. We used to tell each other that too, which is terrible. Okay, but honestly, I don't think we hated each other that much because we would sleep in the same room every night, even though we'd fight. I'm so excited for everyone to get to know us on a personal level and not just through social media. So this is going to be really interesting and fun. I know. I was literally saying today, I was like, I wonder if we're going to like fight. I feel like there will be lots of laughs. (laughs) You know what's so bad? Once we start laughing, we can't stop. We can't stop. Nope. That's going to be a huge problem. But listen to Take 20 on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. I have gathered up my records for the top five songs that make you cry. And... um, I've got a pin in a few things that I want to bring up when they overlap with the lists you two have already said. But to start it off, it's with an album in general, but also a band in general that I just feel like they're crying all the time. And my number five, the song is Red by Lost in the Trees from the 2012 album, A Church That Fits Our Needs. Basically, I feel like the lead singer exclusively sings about his mother. I, I know that's not true, but it seems like it. And his mother oh. had a very sad, tragic life. Super. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. What a great group, though. Oh, I got sure. to see them play at the Earl like 10 years ago, and it nice. was totally spellbounding. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I bet since it was around 12 years ago or 10 years ago, it would have been around was, for this album it, then. I think so. Yeah. Wow. And, the song is special and his lyrics are very matriarchal. Like they yes. definitely have that almost like the same way Sufjan has this sort of motherly, like <laughs> I, I get the same correlation of this, I don't know, mother vibe to a lot of the lyrics. And- yeah. Cause, cause yeah, I mean, I, I only know what I've read in like interviews and stuff like that, but apparently his mother dealt with depression a lot. Uh, she had cancer. I think his two younger sisters who were twins died during the birthing process. Oh, and then wow. ultimately she committed suicide. These are things I've oh only gleaned from the listening to the album and sure. from um, hearing a couple of interviews. But it's just so tragic. And so, like, he's really kind of gone to this well. And it's very, you know, it's been very fruitful for him. And he's created uh, at least three amazing albums that I own. I'm sure he's done more than that, too. But, um, but, 
epic, epic and sad and wonderful. And just, 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 um, honestly, from like a real songwriting perspective too, just a yeah. really good collection of like hooks and like crescendos and just like building and loss and breakdowns and just like all, all these like really nice musical structure hooks that make you feel good and keep you on your toes and, and keep you engrossed, you know? Oh, absolutely. And the, the whole, what you're saying with the orchestration, the, the whole band accompanies the lyrical content so well. It paints such a vivid picture and they're so good live. Like it sounds like the record in so many ways. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because this is a band that like, it just gets like archived in the back and never yes. comes back into the regular <laughs> rotation. And I'm like ready. Right. And so it, it kind of, to talk about what you're saying, winter, that record in a way kind of feels like a winter fall record to me too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And it is always good to remember these bands where like, you know, th there are bands like, let's say, oh, Wilco, for example, anytime Wilco does anything, Stereo Gum is going to talk about it. Pitchfork's right. going to talk about it. Bob Boylan's <laughs> going to talk about it. And that's cool. You know, we all yeah. got to hear what, what Wilco's up to. But right. there, there's all these other bands like Lost in the Trees who are doing amazing things, but don't get as much press. And it's good to make sure that we talk about them too, because they're, they're oh, yeah. doing wonderful, wonderful things out there. You know? Totally. Yeah. I've actually never heard of this band. You will yeah. love this album. Yeah, yeah, I think you would like it. I think it would be up your alley. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll I'll check it out. <laughs> Moving on to my number four. Uh, this is an artist. First, I'm going to go and tease it, and I'm going to see if you guys know who I'm talking about. We were okay. talking before about two amazing voices side by side. When we were talking about uh, James Blake and Moses Sumney. This is one that I saw live where I was just floored by it. Serpent. Uh, it was a show in New York. Um the, uh, the 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 concert itself was called Cornucopia, Ooh. and the the person who joined our good friend Bjork on stage. Do you guys know who it was? Oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. Oh, that oh, is. it's it's Anthony. Is it Anthony? It is not Anthony. That's an oh. excellent Anthony. guess, though. That's an excellent guess. I, I was gonna guess Tom. No, 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 no. <laughs> but 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 I'll, I'll just say it now. But uh, the song. That I'm picking uh, of my of my make me cry songs number four, it's Four Ethers by Serpent with Feet from the uh, 2016 oh, EP <laughs> Listers. Your name is about as easy to remember as the Four Ethers, and who the hell knows the Four Ethers? I almost said that. Did you hear said <laughs> Serpent? But then you're like cornucopia, Bjork, da, 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 da. and yeah. it was, and then I was like, no, it can't be serpent with feet. I I saw him though. I saw him, big ears. Yes, no, no, he's amazing, astonishing, so, so yeah. good, and and, yeah. and but but like him on stage with Bjork performing together, Ooh. it wow. was yeah. wild. And and I have to That's just double down on everything you said before, Dylan. Like just basically. Mm -hmm. Bjork live, astonishing. And yes. um, when, when, when you were saying you've been to New York to see Bjork twice, I was wondering if one of them was for the Cornucopia show. No. So I got to see her at Rosalind Ballroom in mm. 2000 and I guess that was 12 February. That was her Biophilia world gotcha. tour. Gotcha. And that was when she had all of the like, it was a 360 stage. Yes. She had all these built instruments that were like huge game lens and like 
uh, chimes and bells, but they were all not played by humans, which traditionally they are, and it's all MIDI stuff. But uh, the cornucopia experience was definitely cool. I wanted to go, but it was similar to what Tara was saying with Prince. You yes. know, you've already spent a couple hundred dollars multiple times this year, and you're just kind of yeah. like, I, I love you. You're, you're my you're my bay. You're my demigod. But I'm gonna have to pass <laughs> this time. You know, totally. Um, yeah. But 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 that one that, that's easily my favorite show I've ever seen. And um, oh wow, getting serpent you with feet up there bragging. with her. I, I am I am bragging. bragging a little. You're just rubbing it in. Just bragging just a little. Rubbing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Live it up. That's but, amazing. But, but Dylan, I have a question for you. Um, I know in sure. this song. Um, Serpent with Feet samples a musician I'm not aware of. I believe it's very old. I believe it's classical. It's spelled B-E-R-L-I-O-Z. Berlioz? Berlioz. Berlioz. So, so who is mm-hmm. that? Do you know? Um, so I don't want to butcher his background. If I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, Berlioz is a French composer. Um, I'll look it up. But yeah, he was <clears throat> from France and he kind of was one of the contemporaries before Ravel mm. and before Debussy, right? Gotcha. So he was, there was a big movement going from the classical, traditional, so we're talking Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, Haydn is the idea of classical. And then the the harmony style and a little bit of the musical change to romantic. It had a strong Italian presence. So Verdi, and he had his Requiem. He had a bunch of operas, uh, Puccini, uh, Madame Butterfly and everything. And so Berlioz was kind of be, was thrown in as a French romantic, but his voicing and his style was, was much different. But that's awesome that Serpent with Feet uh, sampled Berlioz because, I mean, it's Who really tough to, th- yeah, to throw in a proper like classical sample. Like you have to be like pretty much like Mad Lib and like that's right. about it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Serpent and yeah, it's I, um, what's the, the it, on that song specifically you're yes. saying? Yes. On oh, the four ethers. Wow. Awesome. Um, I would love to remember the name, but I definitely won't. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of something that Serpent with Feet said once in an interview that I really liked, which was, um, uh, so Serpent with Feet, uh, um, he grew up in like a uh, choral background, like 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 doing okay. classical choral work was yeah. kind of his upbringing, how he learned to do everything. And one thing he used to do with his friends all the time was to kind of like uh, goof around and do like, you know, classic like R&B runs over the choral oh, work. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, so yeah. He, he was talking about how basically it's funny to him that uh, R&B runs are kind of looked down upon as like this kind of like, you know, gimmicky, cheap kind of thing. Sure. But he's like, man, that's like all Handel is. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's 100% what that kind of like era of classical music was, was just runs. There's and, a true compositional technique that's called ornamentation. So it's right. written with smaller rhythms and you can see it it almost looks like parentheticals mm-hmm. like that if you were reading something and yes and also people have this misconception that Bach and all this older music was like very rigid but it was very improvised with dynamics and other elements and it's funny that you say that because my choir experience in high school I wouldn't say it was whitewash but I grew up in the suburbs uh, north of Atlanta and mm-hmm. I it was very predominantly white and we were doing a lot of western and like classical like Mozart's Requiem and other stuff. 
I went to college for music composition. You had to have an instrument and my instrument was voice. And I sang in the choir at Georgia state and Georgia state is more uh, of a majority of a black student body. And so what you were saying with serpent with feet, like having all these runs, like I couldn't do them because I feel like I can't do justice to a lot of those gospel runs, but there were so many people that were amazing at singing both styles, like operatic or Italian aria style. And like that gospel style that would do exactly that during the runs like the handle runs like during Christmas like handle mass is like those one of the most stereotypical things that's played in a lot of older uh, churches during Christmas time and the Messiah actually is mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. what it's called and like, yes all of my friends were doing like, all these crazy runs and it, it would crack us up and it is one of those things looked down upon like music like oh they're going too much with the all over the place but very very traditional ironically uh, historically huh. yeah well, Serpent with Feet agrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Let's go. Cool. We're on the same page. Yeah. Uh, okay. My, my number three. Um, I've been actually listening to this all morning, and uh, it really brought me down. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Long titles. So bear with me for a second. Number three. Stage six. A confusion so thick you forgot forgetting by the caretaker from the 2019 album Everything at the End of Time, Stage Six. All right. So long story short, what this is, is basically uh, this dude, the caretaker... Um, he decided he was going to do a series of six albums that were depicting like memory loss, Alzheimer's, dementia, and all those just kind of like feelings. So he made these albums uh, using exclusively samples from like ballroom music from like the 1900s through like the 1960s. Mm. And each album, these samples get more and more degraded and they lose elements and they gain these like new drone elements and they kind of get like muddled and muddled and muddled and muddled and muddled. So each album kind of breaks down your knowledge and memory and understanding of these, these songs and these structures and these notes and these like melodies. So by the time you reach uh, number six, uh, part six of this series, it is just these devastating drones. I don't know how you make a drone so sad, but the caretaker does it. I, I, I genuinely have no idea how he does what he does, but it's astonishing. I, I, I just feel yeah. like it's a uh, the equivalent of like pouring acid over a song and just letting it dissolve for years. And I love it. Love it to death. I highly recommend all the caretaker stuff. I don't know this artist at all, so I'm super looking forward to finding more about him. It's it's yeah. fun stuff. Yeah, um, in a, in a in a sad way. But fun it's, in a sad hey, way. Sad places are fun <laughs> discoveries too. You know, absolutely. Uh, and now, now I'm I'm very excited to bring up my number Woo. two. My number two. Lion Song by Bjork from hey. the 2015 album Nice Volnacura. <laughs> So all the reasons you said before, uh, Dylan, I, I completely agree. I, I, I did think it was funny when you were bringing up Bjork. I was like, oh, will we pick the same song? But oh, yeah. I, but I knew we would pick the same album because I think all of Bjork has a tinge of sadness, 
Volnakira to me is her only one that's 100% sadness. Like, Absolutely. It, it's her sadness just wrenched out of her gut and played right, right there in front of everyone, you know? Oh, it, totally. And, the, and it's a one-two punch, ironically. That's the second track on the record, I believe, yes. Lion Song. It goes into <laughs> it, right? Yes. It ends, I'm a, a stone milker ends with like a drone, little small fermata of strings and it lifts. And then the very next song is Lion Song and you hear her voice with all those harmony stacks and you're just like, ooh, and, where and, are we and, going? And the you know? super <laughs> devastating lyric, which is made Maybe he will come out of this loving me. Right. Uh, maybe, he, maybe he won't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that is, that is tear your heart out stuff. Maybe oh, totally. he will come out of this loving me. Like that's just, it's so realistic, but like desperate, but like true, but like hopeful. It's all <laughs> yeah. these emotions in one yeah. sentence. And it's just... Ugh, I, don't, I, I love it. I love it to death. Yeah. It's, it's just an amazing, amazing album. All the permutations of it too. There's an all strings version of that album that I really like. Yep. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Man, good old I guess Bjork. I'm going to have to go listen to that album after, after we leave here because I just think so much of Bjork's music is so happy and maybe oh, sure. that's why I love yeah, her. Yeah, but like, not you know, that one. <laughs> violently happy, you know, and yeah. blessing me and uh, blessing me is even happy and, you know, just all, and all of Vespertine is just so like sensual, like she's in love in those moments, I feel like, and it's Def- good love. Yes. But like for me, I... I guess I just haven't haven't listened to any of her music like that. So now I'm going to have to go and listen to that entire album. So cool. that record uses strings. Sad. That that record uses strings, Juanicara, because it's the breakup record about who she fell in love with during Vespertine. <clears throat> so it's actually has a similar instrumentation intentionally, right? And Stone Milker specifically has these micro beats that are supposed to connect to the micro beats that like Matmos helped to produce and uh on 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 Vespertine actually so like the song Undo was going to be my number one right from and I was like what can I weigh out more and the thing about Bjork is she's always vulnerable and has this like genuine vulnerable nature that it could always go as like sadness to be that vulnerable but her music always has this overtone of triumphant, to yeah. m- mm-hmm. in my opinion. But yeah. but Vonikara is devastating. And the way that she wanted it, it was like the first two songs was like this slip into chaos and like holding on to a relationship we know that is maybe on its exit out. And at the bottom, which is the middle of the record, is a song called Family. And it has this cello solo that is so disjunct. It sounds like literally when someone's maybe like going through the change of like delusional uh denial to like the full-blown acceptance and it has it to me it sounds like a spider sort of like crawling around in this weird sort of intoxicated way and then there's like this big string buildup that blooms and blossoms and then the whole the record to me it's like the only song that has like a triumphant feel is the very last song quicksand yeah. right it's like she like came out of it a little bit exactly and yeah. that was the yeah. idea that was that that was her whole trajectory but not without being and some of those the first couple of songs are arca produced some of the middle songs are actually produced from the hacks and cloak right. so then you get this whole mm. different other like brooding Dark, and bubbly oh yeah. yeah 
yeah, definitely if you're prepared emotionally, <laughs> sit down, nice glass of red wine or something that, you know, seems a bit romantic. Listen to it from start to finish. <laughs> Your heart will either thank you or hate you. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready to be sad. Yeah. Some more after all of this music that we've been talking about. <laughs> True. And that brings me to my number one. Um, let's see. Uh, this, the song is called Love the House You're In by Moonface from the 2013 album Julia with Blue Jeans On. Someone keeps writing your name all over the world. Uh, this is one of those songs that lyrically just kicks my ass. Um, I'm not a big lyrics person, and when okay. lyrics do like connect with me there's usually something a little strange going on something that like i, I can like feel it's almost, it's almost like that um thing that hemingway thing where it's like um telling a very interesting story in very few words you know sure where where there, there's this repeating thing in this song where um spencer krug just keeps saying um someone keeps writing your name all over the walls and it's like oh that says a lot you yeah. know Oh, totally. There's no someone. It's you. You're doing this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's, it's just devastating. I, I, I really love Spencer Krug. Um, like, all the way back from, like, Frog Eyes into Wolf Parade into Sunset Rubdown into Fifths of Seven into Swan Lake into uh, Moonface and now into his uh, solo stuff under his own name. Spencer Krug is just a champion. I, I, I really love his work and... and, and the number of places he has taken me from me following his career is just astronomical. Like, like, like I, ca I can't believe that the same guy that was playing Modern World in like 2000 and whatever <laughs> that was is the same guy that's making me cry about, you know, his relationship breaking up while living in Finland. Like, it's just... Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's astonishing. And if, if, if people don't do it, I highly recommend his... Um, um, his uh, Patreon because he gives one new song every month. So that means every year you have a new 12 song album, which is amazing. He also gives you one B-side rarity or like kind of like cover a month, which is a whole nother album. And then he also does these things where they're live improvs where it's apparently just kind of like his own songwriting system where he just kind of sits down behind a piano and fucks around for 20 minutes and he records it and he sends that oh, to wow. you too. So at the end of the year, by paying him whatever you want to pay him through Patreon, you got you have one album of entirely new material. You have one album exclusively of B-sides, rarities, and covers, and one album of very long, like experimental, uh, uh, improvised musical journeys. And it's well worth it. He's by far my favorite Patreon, for sure. Um, awesome. And that's that. Yeah. I don't know any of his projects except for Wolf Parade. And Same, actually. <laughs> Wolf Parade's great. So, yeah. um, if you're looking for something other than Wolf Parade, I suggest a next step is Swan Lake. Because Swan okay. Lake is um, Dan Behar from Destroyer. Yeah, it's okay. It's Carrie Mercer from Frog Eyes. And it's uh, Spencer Krug from Spencer Krug's many projects, and those mm -hmm. three together, who they 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 kill some shit. Just just fucking yeah. murdering <laughs> songs. Uh, anyway, anyway, great great stuff. Cool. Love it to death. Great yeah. list. Fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, Fun great stuff. topper. Surprised. 
Seth, you didn't put any Radiohead in there, or even Sufjan Stevens. I'm surprised you didn't put him in your list. Oh, oh, I considered it. There's a few on my short list that'll jump out real quick. If you guys want to throw in yours too, yeah, yeah. let's do it. I really wanted to get some Anthony and the Johnsons. Really Ooh. wanted to because I I know the Anoni stuff is in many ways better, but it's not as sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> Anoni was a lot sadder back when she was in Antony and the Johnsons. Um, yeah. Uh, sp- in particular, Hope There's Someone. I really wanted that. Um, Playground Love by Air. I really wanted Ooh, that on there. Big um, time. Last Mistress by Body Head. Oh, I really wanted that one on there. Yeah. Um, Black Star by David Bowie. I really yes, wanted that. Yes. Oh my God. That one too. <clears throat> Me too. And uh, Real Death by Mount Erie. Those were a few that I wanted right to get that in, but too, I couldn't. Yeah. How-, how about you guys? You guys have any? Yeah, yeah, I was also going to say Mount Erie just because, like, man, that one album about his wife, yeah. that, that's just a gut-wrenching album. I can't listen to it, honestly. I just can't. <laughs> right. Um, uh, love The song Love by Micah Levi. Mm, yeah. Or Mika Levi, however you want to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> it's from the soundtrack, Under the Skin. It's, like, the fifth track, and it just blows my heart apart into pieces. I love it so much. Another instrumental. And then... Um, Song for Zula by Phosphorescent. I don't know why, but it nice. makes me homesick. I get yeah. really homesick when I hear that song. Knoxville. And then they are not from Knoxville. There's nothing that says Knoxville. And I don't know why. It's just a feeling I get when I listen to that song. And then uh, another one is called Only One by Molly Birch. The mm, song is just yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, Red House Painters, like anything. Yeah, I, I had a oh, few nice. anything artists. Like, I really wanted to get anything from Shushu. I really wanted to get, like, anything from Elliot Smith. I really wanted sure. to get... Yeah. There, there, were, there were a few anything. I think some Sugar Rose would have gone well on here if I, if I had Absolutely. one in particular. Yeah. <laughs> or if we knew Icelandic better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> These might be well, very hopeful lyrics. That. Who knows? Yeah. That's not Icelandic even, is it? It's if some of it's like gibberish. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they made like up their that. own language called Hopelandic. And then now these days, they actually sing in English sometimes and sing okay. in Icelandic oh. sometimes. Yeah. Them What's in, on uh, your short list? Oh, so, sorry. yeah. No, I was going to say them and Cockatoo twins. They share the same <laughs> background. Cockatoo. <laughs> Cockatoo. How Cock-toe. do you say it? Cock-toe. Yeah, Cockatoo. There you go. Cockatoo um, twins. Cockatoo. Oh, no, you know, um, honestly, a Cockatoo twins cover band Cock- called Cockatoo twins? Cockatoo oh, twins. That exactly. sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. There goes my butchering of, for all the correct Bjork pronunciations, I get that one there. Um, (laughs) My, like, honorable mentions definitely was Sad Day by FKA Twigs. Mm, Yeah. Tons of twigs can be gut-wrenching. I thought Water Me, in a way, uh, pulls uh, similar emotions. Um, Honestly, I had, I know Tara can relate because I know she took a road trip, but I had a profound moment to Kelly Lee Owens' song, On. Yeah, I I actually woke up and did a sunrise hike at Monument Valley on the um, border of Arizona and Utah, and I, like, danced in the desert alone, missing the dance floor and the lyrical content of that song is sad and triumphant and just, yeah, had a moment with it. So I think about that song constantly. Um, there was of course, Stravinsky, Igor Stravinsky, the firebird suite fourth movement is like, just, it makes me cry almost every time I hear it. Also, mm-hmm. I could go on and on about the <laughs> classical music. Uh, there is a, um, Gabriel Faré is a French composer and his Requiem he wrote for his parents. The last piece uh, in Paradisium, uh, 
definitely makes me cry. And to go to Sufjan, I wanted to do Age of Odds, the song. Yeah. I just, I, I was, it was hot. It was tough. That There's was so like, many good things. Yeah. And it, and that song similar to Bjork, I loved Sufjan so much. And I just, the Age of Odds, the first listen, I was like, this is bad. I didn't like it. Oh, it was wow. Like an, it was an exit in a lot of ways yeah. for me from a lot of what I loved from what he did in Illinois and Michigan and all this stuff and like mm-hmm. the new electronic collaborative like horns. I was just like, I didn't like it. And then second and third listen, it was like, okay. And then by sixth, seventh listen, it was hard for me to even pick a song. Now that I'm older from that is one that I thought of uh, from Age of Odds. It's like the middle song. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, I thought about picking that one as one of my close calls, honorable mentions. What say you? Yeah. And also White Pony from Deftones puts me in my like, <laughs> <Nice. laughs> but not like crying and like middle fingers up, you know, yeah. like, ah, you know, yeah. Tons of ones from that record pool, Digital Bath and uh, Teenager. Teenager gives me the nostalgia feeling of being a teenager, actually, yeah. you know, like yeah. what you were talking about with Knoxville, even though it's weird because I didn't feel that nostalgia or that contemporary feeling when I heard the song when I was a kid. I was like, this is an electric yeah. song that I'm not really crazy about. And after the fact, he actually has a project with the drummer from Death Grips uh, called Team Sleep that they put out an album, Chino from Deftones and wow. Zach. Zach Hill from Hella and also from Death Grips. And there's a couple songs on there that kind of tap into that teenager vibe of like electronic, hmm. goth sort of rock, <laughs> new metal, whatever say you. And yeah, yeah. Um, hard, hard to not mention my sad moments without Deftones. And yeah, <laughs> those are my list. That's funny. Well, based on all these recommendations we're giving, the last thing we got to do before we close up today is uh, restock the employee recommendation shelf. Uh, Tara, what do you got to put on there? I decided to take one from my short list and save it for just this purpose because I love it so much, but I only recently just discovered it, Um, but it's it's Nina Simone, actually. So it's a a classic, but it's Nina Simone covering George Harrison um, on, uh, it's called Isn't It a Pity? How we take each other's love most precious thing it's actually why it's so sad is just the the subject matter it's about when um couples are just starting their sort of downfall and realizing they're kind of both letting each other down it's just like it's a pity that we've kind of just like taken each other for granted and i think it's just a sad such a terrible sad song wow <laughs> it's a great sad song it's not terrible, yeah. but you know what i mean that's my recommendation I love it. Uh, the, the album I'm putting up on the wall here today is um, just the, the album I've been listening to the most lately and really, really been enjoying. Uh, the band is called Mama Larky. Have you guys heard of them? No. They are yeah. local Atlanta now. Oh, they're, cool. they're actually, they formed in Austin, Texas, but now they're in, uh, they're now an Atlanta band. The um, whole band moved to Atlanta? Yeah. And it, we've never heard of them? I don't know all the <laughs> details, but here's what I think. And this is based on only being an observer. I think one of their members lived here in Atlanta and was from Atlanta. And the rest of them were in Austin, like born and bred. 
And then that one member was like, oh, y'all should check out Atlanta. Atlanta's the greatest. And so the rest of the band moved to Atlanta too. I'm making this up. This is probably not true. <laughs> but that's 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 the story in my head at least. And um, they're really wonderful. They're really great. They're basically just like a straightforward rock and roll band, but their sound is really fresh and new. And like it's really hard to create a new sound with just like a straightforward, like four piece band, like lead singer, guitar, drums, bass, whatever. It's, it's really hard and they do it. And I think part of it is, um, this is going to sound silly, but I really mean this is the highest compliment. They sound like one of the fake bands from the movie, Scott Pilgrim. That's what they sound like. Exactly. (laughs) And it's just so full of energy and it's just so direct, punchy in the gut, feel good rock and roll. I really love it. So um, it's a self-titled album. It's Mamalarkey. So it's like the word malarkey and the word mama combined together. M-A-M-A-L-A-R-K-Y. And uh, the album just came out a couple months ago uh, back in 2020. And it's just, it's great. It's really, really great. I highly recommend it. Cool. Uh, Dylan, I know you don't work here, but you want to throw something up on the shelf? Yeah, I could definitely throw up. uh, I'm going to have to say it's called a mixtape, but she is a French composer. I don't know how to pronounce her name either, and she kind of makes jokes about that on Instagram. I'm going to go ahead and take a guess that it's O'Clou, O-K-L-O-U. And uh, the record she put out is called Galore. I pulled the phone so close to my chest Just to feel closer to you I cannot stop the smile Probably my favorite song from the record. I didn't add it to my list, but it's definitely on my top 10 album. It's not necessarily a crying song. It's more of a a longing song, but more uplifting. But some just bangers. It reminds me of like uh, pop music that... like is literally made for the future. Like it has very pop elements and she writes a lot of the music just from piano only in her singing. And she worked with a, another producer. I'm spacing on their name to put out this mixtape. And there's just some amazing songs. Like I, I, I didn't want to like the record as much as I did just because of my, my, my hipster nature heard just how poppy it was, but I'm just like, it, it's like Frank Ocean was that channel orange. Listen for me. I was like, this is so like, like thinking about the song, um, that was thinking about you was like his big pop hit. And I was just like, this is way too poppy to give me all these feelings. But I guess like, I am just like my little pop queen that I was when I was six or something. But yeah, (laughs) this record has some amazing, amazing earworms like God's Chariot and Nighttime and Rosebud. There's just like a couple of songs I can think of off the top of my head that are earworms. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Thanks. Well, I guess that's about it. Uh, Dylan, thanks for hanging out with us and playing this game. Yeah. Uh, thank you to everyone else in the store uh, listening in on our conversations and uh, shopping around. We appreciate you as well. Uh, but the store is officially closed, so everyone's got to go. And uh, happy trails, everyone. Until we meet again. Thanks. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com 
or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert, caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals and recovery support specialists. At RCA's state-of-the-art campus, in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs like PRIZE, a unique program for people who have been in recovery but have relapsed. Here, you won't have to start from step one. You'll build off the knowledge you've previously acquired in treatment and focus on the areas of your recovery that need improvement. RCA answers the phone and accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most major insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. My name is Kristen Nobles, and I am the host of a new podcast called Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine. I have been chronically ill for over 20 years, and a doctor told me she believed that my breast implants were causing an autoimmune disease that was attacking my body. That is when I learned about breast implant illness. This disease is not my fault. I am not going to allow BII to define who I am. Listen to Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Met the kid, right? I did. He seemed like a killer to you. Cavalry Audio, in association with iHeartRadio, presents the new podcast, Verdict. Some people think he's definitely guilty. Others be like, no way. He signed a full confession. I can't but close my eyes and not see their faces. Verdict premieres October 19th. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.